Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about chilling and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Thank you, Nora Shaw. This week we meet Lauren Moody, a woman who's decided to take a boat that was on the brink of being lost, sunk to the bottom of the harbor, and bring her back to Bristol condition, one step at a time. But first, I'm excited to announce the program's first official sponsor. You've heard them on the show, and if you follow Out the Gate on Instagram, you've seen them and their boat. It's Quincy and Mitchell of Q&M Travels. They're a wonderful couple who host sailing adventures aboard Esprit, their gorgeous Kelly Peterson 46. She's a robust, very well-designed boat that's really comfortable for sailing around the world. I say that with experience because I've been out sailing with them a few times on the bay. But with Q&M Travels, you get more than your normal charter experience. Mitchell is very experienced and very patient as a sailing instructor. And he has years of teaching experience on the water. He holds numerous sailing instructor certifications, and he's taught at various sailing schools, including OCSC here in the bay. Personally, I know I've learned something each time that I've been out on the water with him. And Quincy, a certified nutritionist, is an amazing cook who provides delicious, holistic, healthy meals aboard Esprit, catering to any and all dietary restrictions. Again, I've experienced meals aboard Esprit, and I can say they are something special. So, sail for the day, a weekend, or take an offshore passage with Quincy and Mitchell, and you won't be disappointed. They'll be in the bay until September, and then they're taking a spree to Southern California and Mexico. They're also offering sailing adventures in the Caribbean this spring, and in June, they're sailing the Challenge 72 Sea Dragon in the Line Islands of the Pacific, and they want you to join them. Check out their schedule at qmtravels.com. They've been featured in the San Francisco Chronicle. You can listen to the interview I did with them on episode 13 of Out the Gate. And you can follow them directly on Instagram at qmtravels. We're ready to jump into the interview I did recently with Lauren Moody. She's working hard to bring back a Bob Perry-designed Islander Freeport 36. And this is a story that really resonates with me because I still remember the frustrations and joys, the highs and lows that come with fixing up an old boat. There are times when you feel like quitting and then you have a small victory, fix a problem that's been vexing you or finish a job that seemed like it would never end. And suddenly the feelings of satisfaction and accomplishment make all the pain worth it. So here we go. Uh, my name is Lauren Moody, and we're at Travis Marina, which is in Sausalito, um, just at the very northern part of the Golden Gate Bridge. And we're sitting aboard your boat. Yes, uh, this is uh, the Intrepid. It's very cozy down below. It's a beautiful sunny day outside, and it's very light and airy. So tell us uh, what kind of boat Intrepid is. Uh, Intrepid is a uh, Islander Freeport 36, um, 1978. She was designed by Bob Perry? Yeah, that's right. I love this. She's a Bob Perry design, and you were saying that um, through social media, you actually 
post pictures of Intrepid and that Bob Perry will respond and that you're in communication with him. Yeah, I'm a bit of a Bob Perry fangirl. So we uh, um, have had a few conversations uh, online chatting back and forth and uh, I really enjoy his fan club page and I post pictures of Intrepid there. And he's been following the refit and then uh, comments every once in a while. And it's uh, really been encouraging. That's awesome. I know this boat has been in your life for about 11 months, 11 months. I was going to say a year. Okay. Just under a year. But how did you get interested in sailing in the first place? Did you grow up sailing? Uh, No, I grew up in Ohio and sort of the furthest thing from sailing. And uh, I joined the Navy and basically spent four years uh, with the Navy and a large uh, amount of that time I was deployed. And so I really sort of developed this connection with the ocean and with the water. And after the Navy... Your uh, deployment was on, on what? What were you um, doing and what were, where were you? I was deployed on um, aircraft carriers, mainly okay. the USS Constellation. And a little I, different than a sailing boat. A lot different, <laughs> yeah. Hugely different. And uh, my job was... Um, aviation electronics and so I worked on the F-18 aircraft and I didn't have any role in anything related to you know us actually being underway so you know not I wasn't navigating or doing anything like that but I still really developed that connection with the ocean from my time on the flight deck and I spent about 16 months deployed and so that time just really sort of uh, gave me that connection and I missed it after the Navy. Just being out on the water? Just being on the water, there's something, it's hard to explain, but there's something that just draws me to it. Yeah. And how did you get into the aviation electronics? That's fascinating. And how specialized is that in terms of electronics? I basically chose that as my job going into the Navy. It was something that I was always interested in. Um, I had an interest in electronics growing up, and so it was just sort of a natural fit. was fairly specialized. We went through, I think, uh, about a six-month school um, training, and then had about a year of on-the-job training before actually starting to work on aircraft. Wow. And does any of that convey into the, any of the electronics work you're doing aboard? It's been incredibly helpful. When I got this boat, the primary issue with the boat was the electronics. Oh. Um, at a certain point, um, there had been uh, a, a bit of a rat infestation. There weren't any rats when I got the boat, but they had wreaked havoc on the electrical system and had just chewed through um, so much. And in addition to that, the elec- the, all the electronics were over 40 years old. The wiring was very brittle. And so I rewired just about every system in this boat. Okay. Well, we're going to get to the refit and this boat and how you found it. All right. But let's, let's uh, try and go a little bit in chronological order here. I want to hear then how you got into from aircraft carriers to sailboats. Um, I went to UCSC, and while I was there, I saw that they had a a sailing class, and it uh, happened to fulfill my phys ed requirement, and so (laughs) I just went and uh, and took the class. It was dinghy sailing, and so we were sailing little 15-foot sunfish um, just there in the little marina, and and, you know, would would kind of duck out every once in a while um, and do some sailing out on the waves, and it just... uh, it really resonated with me. I started to to get more and more into it at that point. From aircraft carriers to sunfish. Uh-huh. I can't make a bigger leap, but there is a connection there. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it goes just back to that connection with the water and that sort of need to 
to do something connected to the water. Yeah. How did you start sailing in the San Francisco Bay? I moved here about 10 years ago and immediately started connecting with the community through meetups. Mm -hmm. And uh, I met quite a few people um, going through the meetups and sort of started to understand uh, the types of people that I enjoyed sailing with and and uh, made friends and eventually had three or four dedicated people that I just sailed with all the time. And that's uh, sort of how I became connected with this marina and have been sailing out of here probably for eight years with, uh, with my friends who have boats all in this area. So if people aren't familiar with the marina, tell us a little bit about it. We're, we're looking out the companionway here right at the iconic Golden Gate Bridge. It can't beat the location, really. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, this is uh, a marina that's it's actually owned by the Park Service, and it's leased by Travis Air Force Base. And it started off as a MWR program for active duty people, and it serves primarily active duty and veteran population. Um, over time, the yacht club that's here, Presidio Yacht Club, has uh, sort of grown a larger and larger presence. And Travis uh, Air Force Base has taken sort of a a little bit less of a active role here in terms of um, the, the population, but they still have uh, sailing classes every year for people up at Travis Air Force Base, and they still have an MWR program that operates out of here. For those do who don't know, MWR stands for... Oh, sorry. It's um, right. Morale, Welfare, and Recreation. It's a military term. It's basically all the programs that they put together to uh, help keep people uh, happy on their off time. And you pop out of here and you are almost under the Golden Gate Bridge right in the slot there and out and, and sailing in it so you couldn't be closer. Yeah exactly and it's nice so you know on days that uh, we want to go out and it happens to be ebbing we'll just go out the gate and maybe go out to uh, Point Bonita up Bonita Channel. On days it's flooding uh, we'll you know go over to the city front and even uh, sometimes you know after work if I've got an hour of sunlight left I'll just pop out and you know, run through the slot a couple times and catch some wind and then, you know, I'm right back here. So it's a perfect location. It's really, you know, centrally located. Um, we're close enough to the city. It really isn't even that long of a sail over to the East Bay. So we really have gone from here just about everywhere. We sort of pick a different destination every weekend based on the conditions and currents and, uh, you know, go exploring. Let's get to how Intrepid... Now, isn't there an aircraft carrier named Intrepid? There was an aircraft carrier named Intrepid. Yeah, it was a World War II carrier, and that was sort of uh, one of the interesting connections that I initially had with this boat and why I sort of loved it. So you were sailing with the person who has the boat in the slip next to this one, Yeah, correct? exactly. And tell us about this boat when you first laid eyes on it. So I've, I've had my eyes on this boat for about seven years, and I always said I'd like to get a hold of it and, and uh, do a refit on it because I I thought it would be interesting to get a, a derelict boat that, you know, needs a lot of love and, and, uh, and work on it. And so uh, when I saw this boat, I, you know, immediately noticed it. I really liked the sort of classic look of it, and something with it just attracted me to it. And so for, you know, seven or so years, I had my eye on it. And I had asked about it a couple times, and the owner was never really ready to sell it. He had some health issues about 14 years ago, and so he was never able to come back down to the boat. And the boat sat without any human intervention for 14 years, and Oof. it was in very rough condition when I got it. You mentioned that rats had found their way aboard. Yeah. You said before we started recording that it had really been 
banging against the dock. Tell us about the damage that was being done. Um, during the storms last year, um, this boat had a habit of breaking lines, and my neighbors were um, always putting new lines on and mm. tying fenders, random fenders on uh, the boat to try to, you know, keep it in, in okay condition. But over time, um, I think one of the big storms last year, uh, it broke the stern line and was uh, slamming up against the dock on the port side and had uh, gone through the gel code and was starting to um, really eat its way into the fiberglass. So there was a, a pretty serious danger of this boat sinking and, and not being salvageable if it had gotten to that critical point. So when you saw that happening, you reached out again to the owner? Um, I reached out to the owner through a friend, and the owner finally uh, agreed to sit down and meet uh, with no uncertain terms. He just said, okay, well, I'll, I'll agree to sit down and, and meet with you. And and so we, we sort of hit it off. He's a really nice guy. Um, and uh, I just sort of explained to him what I'd like to do with the boat, basically refit it, get it in nice shape, and sail it all the time, which is really what I've been doing with it. Have you been in touch with the owner as you've gone through that process? Yeah, I see him about every month. I see him, you know, and talk to him, and he always asks, you know, what's been going on with it. And he hasn't been able to come down to the boat because of his health issues, but he was actually here the first day we took it out of the slip. It took me about three months to get it running. Taking it out of the slip the first time, we just took it around the marina to do a little shakedown, and it made him really happy to see it on the water again. You wrote a little bit about uh, on your blog, um, what what's the address of that, by the it's way? It's so uh, sailingintrepid.com. Sailingintrepid.com. People can go read about the refit. But about that moment, you've been working on the engine. Tell me about that process and getting it started again. Yeah, um, there was a, uh, a marine mechanic apparently about seven years ago who came down and tried to get it running, and they did a lot of work on it. Um, they replaced the fuel tank and lines and um, filters. They did just about every major work that they could possibly do on the fuel system short of replacing the injectors. And so I started, I had never touched a diesel engine in my life. And so I just started watching every YouTube video on this engine that I could possibly <laughs> find. Every, every random mechanic. What is it by the way? It's, just it's a Perkins 4108. And so I just uh, kept, you know, watching these videos and and I thought, well, you know, the only thing that they haven't really tried is the injectors. And so I decided to, to remove those, which ended up being uh, um, an enormous project. <laughs> Sometimes the ignorance is uh, <laughs> what gets you going on the project, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. And that's maybe why they didn't replace it, because they were um, really badly corroded into the engine. And it took me probably three or four hours to get each one out. But I had watched a video on YouTube um, about removing injectors from this particular engine. And the person said, you're going to get past the point where you're frustrated and where you're throwing your tools and just keep, keep trying, keep plugging at it, keep wiggling, you know? And so they gave some tips and I just kept working at it. And I did get to that frustrated point um, a few times, had to walk away. And, and once I got the first one out, then I got some confidence that, okay, I can actually get these out. But I don't know, anyone who works on these old engines, especially marine engines, um, the corrosion makes it really, really difficult to, you know, from the bolts uh, to, you know, the components actually removing them. And and so it was a challenge uh, to get it running. Yeah, get, getting your body contorted and so you can get into the space and actually, it's not like working on an engine in a nice open workshop. Not at all. And this engine is actually midship. It's uh, right below our feet here under the sole panel. 
and it's in a really sort of unique location. It happens also to be below the water line, which is nice for ballast, um, but of course could have some drawbacks. Um, <laughs> it also makes in, it, yeah. uh, it makes uh, the person working on it have to be a bit of a contortionist mm. also. So then you had to, as I understand, get some parts and they weren't necessarily the right parts. <laughs> it's yeah, it's tough finding the, the parts uh, I need for the for this engine. So I sent the original injectors away to, to be rebuilt um, at a diesel shop up in Oregon. And the banjo bolts, which is uh, uh, just a minor component, but the ones that I had were completely stripped out. And I ordered them through the diesel repair shop, but the ones they sent were incorrect. And it took me a while to track them down. But I ended up finding them at an antique tractor supply store in the Midwest. An antique? Tra how did you find this antique tractor Just a lot of store. searching and yeah. looking around and calling around places. And and uh, I eventually called this place and explained to them what I was looking for. And they had the, the correct bolts. And tell us about that moment trying to turn it over. I started really early trying to turn it over just to make sure that it wasn't a lost cause and, and I, and it turned over great and, um, it just never really fired. And so after I replaced the injectors, I bled the fuel system and did everything that I was supposed to do. And I just kept cranking it and cranking it. And I, I probably, um, went through maybe an hour or two of just, you know, trying it intermittently. And then I would bleed, bleed the system a little bit more and then try again. And and uh, this went on for quite a while. And I had sort of given up on it and, and went down below. And and uh, at a certain point in the evening, I, I just went up and tried it one more time. And and that was the time it started almost immediately. So it, I guess it had finally primed itself and was ready. And when it fired up, it just started, I mean, it purred. It really runs great. For those of us who aren't diesel mechanics and have managed to get an engine running, I think there's a, a special feeling. I, I can relate to this. I remember having a similar experience and hearing that engine purr. Yeah, it's extremely gratifying. Um, just that moment, it sort of uh, reinforced that I could actually do this because there have been a lot of discouraging moments along the way. Um, and that was just one of the moments where where I thought, yeah, I, I think that I can actually pull this thing off. And, and I've wanted to do everything myself, mainly just to, to see whether I could. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to exhaust every possibility before, you know, trying to hire a mechanic and, and going through that route. And so it was really nice getting it running. And the fact that it was something so simple was, was fantastic. I mean, I had done a tune-up and changed the oil and did all the things that they needed to be done after an engine sits for so long, but it hadn't started for 14 years. And so the fact that it ran and that it's run so good since has really been fantastic. Bit of a stroke of luck. Well, congratulations on that. You mentioned you want to do all the work yourself, which is wonderful. I, I, th I don't think people realize how many projects, how many different things they're going to learn that they're going to get their hands into when, when they uh, walk aboard a sailboat or start working on a sailboat. What are some of the other big projects that are on your list to tackle or that you already have tackled? I mean, this boat has come a long way in a year from what I hear you tell. It has. Uh, I couldn't begin to count the hours that I've spent on it. 
Um, one of the first things I did was to refinish all the top side woodwork, and that was another learning experience. Um, basically sanding everything down and revarnishing. Of course, now that it's been a year, it's due to be done again. It's an endless task. So that's that's one that's completed and one that's upcoming. Um, and uh, I mentioned the wiring. That was that was really sort of one of the bigger projects. Is uh, just tracking everything down and replacing old brittle wiring. The first night I slept here, I woke up in the middle of the night and sort of smelled something burning and, you know, a little bit of an electrical smell. So it was pretty concerning. So I went over to switch off the uh, main cabin power <laughs> and the switch was so hot that it burned my thumb and left uh -oh. a little blister. And so I knew then that I had some major work ahead of me. And I told a friend about that experience and he lent me a book called Seaworthy, um, which is a really popular book and it goes into just about everything that can go wrong on a sailboat. And reading that book, I just realized that I had a lot of work ahead of me and that I really needed to pay attention to all these little things before trying to do anything with it. And so I didn't plug it in again until I replaced the uh, shore, pl shore power leads and did a lot of the wiring um, just to make sure everything was safe before trying it again. What are some of the other big projects on the horizon? The next big thing is going to be the haul out and bottom job. Um, that's another one I, I'm really hoping to do myself. The bottom hasn't been done on this in at least 14 years, but probably more. And so it's way past due. I probably should have done it already. It's just such a big project. And I've had so many other things that I've been doing just to, to get the boat and see worthy shape. So that's going to be one of the next big ones that'll probably happen in the next couple months. And then the next big thing is going to be sales. A friend of mine who has another Islander has lent me his sails because the sails that were on the boat were left up the entire time. And when I took them down, they were very brittle and unusable. Mm. The main sail was on old style aftermarket furler, which was outside the mast. So the main sail had been exposed without a sun cover for all those years and the jib had been left up on the roller furler. So really, um, when I got this, there wasn't any, there weren't any usable sails. So before I could take it out on the water, a friend uh, lent me his, and so I've been using those for the last year, basically. That's great, until you can get your own set made. Yeah, because I've been trying to prioritize the project. Mm -hmm. um, any sailboat refit is a function of time and money, and so it's basically just been an ongoing uh, process of prioritizing, of course, uh, engine and electronics and some of those things that you know are really, really um, necessary for the boat to continue operating and uh, remain afloat. Uh, those are the things that I've really been focused on over the past year. Tell us a little bit about the long-term vision of the boat and where you want to get her. The goal is to um, really do a lot of cruising with this boat. Um, I've already done a, a couple little trips. A few friends and I went up to Drake's Bay and did an, an overnight just to sort of test things out and the boat did beautifully. Um, we're planning to do a trip down to Half Moon Bay as sort of a next step. Um, I sailed out to the Farallons a few months ago just to uh, to do that because the conditions were, were right for it. So the goal is really to do a lot of cruising with this boat. I'd love to start getting involved in more of the cruising community and start doing some, some longer cruises. Eventually, I'd really love to be able to not necessarily do circumnavigation, but to do longer cruises like uh, maybe to Hawaii or something like that. Oh, that's exciting. I hear you talk a lot about the sailing community here, and it sounds like that was 
instrumental in you finding the boat and, and learning more about sailing on the bay. Talk a little bit about what that community has meant and means to you. So a lot of the people who, that have boats here are, um, are veterans. And so the folks that I ended up sailing with all the time were people that I could connect with on that level. That was almost an instant community because we had that in common. We had sailing in common. And so we really clicked. Those people have really become my best friends over the years. And I've sailed on their boats hundreds of times out of this marina. Just finding that connection, I think, was huge and was really sort of how I got rooted here in the Bay Area. That's wonderful to hear. And you've got some, we're not going to talk about it now, but some other exciting announcements forthcoming. So stay tuned to the podcast about new community building projects in sailing. But that's all I'm going to say for now. Is there one particular sail on this boat in the past year since you've had it that sticks out in your mind? I think the sail up to Drake's Bay was uh, was probably the best because it was a good opportunity to test the boat in larger swells and go a little bit longer distance. And before I did that, I went through everything uh, sort of with a fine-tooth comb and went over the engine again and have done a lot of other little repairs on the engine since, and so I had a pretty high level of confidence in it. But it took us about 10 hours to get up there, and then on the way, we had the wind directly... Uh, to our bow so we motored the entire way Mm. and the engine did fantastic it was a good test of all systems basically gave me a lot more confidence in the boat that it really has the potential to do a lot more cruising and is uh, just really a solid um, ocean going vessel it's these small victories like getting the engine started doing your first cruise step by step and you build and you build Definitely. And it's taught me a lot sort of as a, as a sailor. And when I got this boat, I had only docked a boat once, I think. And mm. so learning how to dock and learning how to be a skipper has been really huge because there are always these little tests and trials. Uh, one of the first times we took it out, I snapped the jib halyard and there was sort of a, a little bit of a chaotic moment where one of the crews started to furl the jib and it got really badly tangled and it took about 20 minutes to wrestle it down and Mm. by the time I got it down um, I hadn't really communicated very clearly with my crew and I realized that the person that I asked to be on the helm had pushed the throttle all the way forward so the engine was overheating and it it just sort of was one of those um, aha moments where it took me back to my days in the Navy where it reminded me just to stay calm and communicate and there have been some other issues since then Uh, Just last week, I went out with a friend of mine, and she's fairly new to sailing. And I've been using the spinnaker halyard on the jib for, you know, the months since the jib halyard broke, and the spinnaker halyard finally broke. And Mm. so it was a second chance to sort of try that scenario over. And we just took our time, communicated through it, brought the jib down really quickly, and everybody was uh, okay. It's just been a lot of um, little learning experiences and sort of has been a real character building experience. Yeah, it is about handling those situations and not letting it cascade right out of control. Exactly. I'm curious. um, You mentioned it made you think back to the Navy. What was it? What was the training in the Navy that you were able to apply? So on the flight deck, the first rule is um, you never lose your head no matter what's going on no matter how chaotic things get, you always keep your cool and keep your calm. 
that was, uh, it took a lot of practice and my first months uh, on the flight deck to sort of get that down as, as things would go wrong, our natural tendency is to panic. It sort of taught me um, a level of mastery over that tendency. It has just been a bit of a reminder and I, I think I've had reminders throughout life, but this, you know, this project has really been huge because there have been so many within such a short period of time. And you've done single handing aboard this boat as well, right? I have. That's something I just started getting into a few months ago. Um, I had taken it out alone a few times. And the first time I really sort of fell in love with the feeling, you know, there's nothing like being out on the water alone. It's wonderful having crew and I love sailing with my friends a lot. Um, but there's there are times where it's nice just to be out alone and have that peace and solitude that you get. And it's unlike anything else. There's a lot to worry about, a lot to think about, but I found that, you know, once I get the sails set and I get everything operating smoothly, that it's just a, a really relaxing and rewarding experience. That must be such a sense of accomplishment to be able to take the boat out, bring it back all on your own. Yeah, it's something I really wanted to do, um, getting into the project. And I had some fears about it at first, and I've done a lot of reading and watching videos. I watched a lot of videos on single-handed docking and that, that type of thing to sort of get the, the routine down. I like the feeling of being able to go out whenever I want. Uh, a couple days ago, I had a long day at work and had an hour of sunlight left. And so it just uh, was an opportunity to go out and, and get a little experience. A few months ago, I mentioned the fair launch trip. Um, that was one morning where I, I woke up and the conditions were perfect. The sea state was calm. The winds were coming from the perfect direction. It was slack tide, just getting ready to start ebbing. And I thought, this is a perfect time to, to try the Farallons because it's been a goal of mine for a long time. I've always wanted to go out and, and try to sail out there. And so I just went for it. I made it to the three-mile demarcation zone and turned around because I'm not familiar enough with with the area, um, but it was a sense of accomplishment. So just getting out there and and getting that close and and also getting that time on the water. There's there's that moment where you realize that you really can't see any land. That's kind of a, a nice, interesting feeling. Well, congratulations on all these major hurdles that you've gotten over with this boat this year. Thank you. And here's to more and i look forward to following the progress of what you do with the refit of this boat and where you take it and uh thanks so much for taking some time to tell us tell us the story i think it'll be inspirational to others who are either working mired in their own projects on their boats or uh looking to to jump into new projects you're definitely welcome hope you enjoyed that interview i want to mention a special event that's coming up on sunday january 26th it's the 7th Annual Sausalito Community Boating Center's Herring Celebration. It's a great event at the Bay Model in Sausalito that benefits the Community Boating Center, being built just up the street. And then when complete, the center is going to provide affordable access to boating to children in the community and promote environmental stewardship in Richardson's Bay. It's a great organization. The event features local Sausalito chefs whipping up delicious dishes featuring herring, Fish and Davy Jones are a couple of the local establishments participating. Lunch is at 1 p.m. and there'll be a morning and afternoon screening of a really interesting film called The Raft, which is a documentary about 
five men and six women who spent 101 days on a raft crossing the Atlantic. Friend of the show, Mary Gidley, was on that raft, and she'll be there at the screening. And I have to say, I've been to this event the past few years, and the food is outstanding. So I encourage you to get your tickets at SausalitoCommunityBoating.org. Think the $40 for lunch in the film and all the proceeds go to support a great organization. So I hope to see you there. That's the show for this week. Until next time, smooth sailing. Mm-hmm.